listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, today I'm going to ask you the hardest question in all of business. Are you ready? Pray tell. What is the hardest question in business? What did you learn? Oh, that's the hardest question in business? I, I think it is because, you know, you stop and think about it. How often that we go through life and we go through our role within a firm or whatever your role is, and you just don't stop and think about what you learned along the way. And yet it's maybe the most important thing that we can do. So you and I agreed that we've been doing this series on modern selling now for, I think it's going on three months. And we've had just an unbelievable explosion of insights from guests of all stripes, from Gartner to Blair Enns to Charlie Green to Scott Brinker to David Rhodes. We've covered everything from value-based selling, value-based pricing, sales technology, the channel. And we said, let's take a pause and just reflect on what we've learned from this journey together for our listeners and encourage our listeners to do the same. You know, there's this sequence of 10 episodes or so that just go in depth into all aspects of modern selling. And it's just a great time to step back and say, what did you learn from all this? So what did you learn? I'm still thinking about the fact that it's been another three months that I've had to work with you. All the listeners are saying to themselves, man, it's been a three months that Jeff's had a chance to work with Jason. What a lucky guy he is, right? I can't believe we've been doing this three months. It, it has been a lot of fun and it doesn't even seem like three months, but I love the question. It is. There's something about consolidating learning. So I, and I, don't I love think it. We do it well. I've, I've said this so many times. There's been times when I've, I've had you know people in my business that are working on something for years and I'll say, well, what do you learn from all this? And they don't really have an answer. Yeah, they're on to the next thing. Yeah, we're just always on to the next thing. And so it's important that we stop and say, okay, how do we synthesize all of this? Because there was so much stuff and so many good ideas and so many practical things going on. So what does it all mean? Or at least what do we think it means so far? So you want to go first? You want me to go first? I want you to go first. Oh, I'm going to go first. I asked the question. Why do I have to answer my own question? All right. So I actually, my first thing isn't necessarily really a learning. It's an affirmation. And, you know, when we started this, I think the very first sequence is that we had this sort of message that modern selling is helping. And that was just super reaffirmed for me. So Andy's comments about selling in versus selling out, the need to bring curiosity and connection and generosity and understanding to the the sales conversation, just reaffirmed that that's the right way to think about this. Then Maria at Gartner talking about sense-making and just this idea that your role is to help the client make sense of all the noise in the world and figure out how to go forward. That's your job in, in the sales experience. That I thought was another hugely interesting layer on top of that, where it's not just about having the answers, it's about helping them make sense of the answers that are coming from everywhere. I loved Andy's comment. I I quoted here as I love it. It's like, humans are universally averse to being persuaded. So I wrote that down. It's like, it describes so much of the world, but if you could just stop persuading people, (laughs) you'd be so much better off. And so, I don't know. For me, that that was the first thing that I've taken away is that hypothesis, I, I believe is right. And we backed it up with some really, really top grade thinkers to say, yeah, that's the right way to look at it. I agree. I love that dimension of Andes that you quoted, you know, the persuasion 
that's my approach to marketing, right? You're never going to convince anybody to see the world the way you see it. You just kind of speak out into the world and those that align will align. But I think when it comes down to selling, I mean, we just go out there and we beat people up. And it's the thing that we hate about selling. We all know it, but we still do it anyway. And inside of that, he talked about this idea that those behaviors are learned behaviors. They're not natural human behaviors. And that's what I thought was super cool about it was it was like, you're actually unwinding learned behaviors that really weren't there in the first place. And that was probably some of his greatest stuff. You know, his book's out by the way now. So for listeners, it's now published. And when we recorded that episode, it was still in the working stages. I'll put another link in for his book. So that was my first learning. How about you? Mine is somewhat similar in the affirmation category. And I would call it this. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Getting back to your point about, you know, we never take the time to stop and consolidate our learning. We're on to the next thing. My takeaway from listening to everybody in this series was nothing really changes because we're human. As you just mentioned with Andy Paul's comment, but we... We think that there's some new fangled way, some new secret, some special sauce that, you know, allows us to shortcut or, you know, somehow get to people in a different way. And there just isn't. People are people and it's about helping. It's about being sincere and relating to people as individuals, not as a buyer, not as a dollar sign but treating them as human. And if you keep that in mind, and I think that was the thing that, that came across every one of our speakers, Yeah, is you have to treat people as human and you have to be helpful above all things. So in order to do that, you need to understand the foibles of humanity, whether that's fear or desire You need to know where people are coming from and then help them get what they want. And that's just never going to change no matter what type of selling methodology you're using or what type of technology comes out. And we talked about this with Scott Brinker. These technologies exist to build relationships where people are, but it always comes back to relationship. Yeah, it's interesting. I have been re-listening, not re-listening, listening to, I can't think of the name of the book by Michael Lewis about Daniel Kahneman's work and his relationship with Amos Tversky, I think was his last name. Anyway, it's all about kind of the foundation of how they work together to ultimately derive a lot of the behavioral economics theory about how the human brain really works, right? How the human brain functions to make decisions. And the fascinating thing about all that, the reason I share that is that it's worth kind of going back through that foundational thinking again and again and again about how we are hardwired as humans, how our brain is designed and how it functions. And because it does reaffirm, like you said, like that's not changing. That's never going to really change. And so understanding it and understanding those heuristics and all those blind points is super valuable. So and it's just maybe kind of reaffirm, man, I need to go back and reread all that work again because it's just such fascinating stuff. You could live, obviously, they lived a career there. So, no, I, I like that one a lot. Actually, it's like there are some fundamentals that aren't changing, even though there's a lot changing. Now, my, my next one actually was the opposite of that in that I really liked when Maria Gartner talked about how buying behaviors have changed a lot in the last three years. 
There's a lot more buyers in the process. There's a lot more decision makers on the client side than there used to be. They're spending less time with sellers. Now, the interesting thing about that dialogue, and I shared this with one of our clients, he asked me about that. And I said, well, I think I think there's a dichotomy there. I think they're spending less time with certain sellers and more time with others. And I think those times that the ones they're spending more time with are trusted advisors and consultants. The people that they really rely on, they leaned into those folks and gave them even more time to help them make sense, to use your words. And if you weren't seen in that category, then yes, you're getting less time. What I really liked about what she said about that whole change in buying behaviors is that you know one of the most important roles of selling is leading buyers confidently to a high quality, low regret decision. So that space that she took us into, to me, was really interesting because it's sort of reframing this idea that <laughs> your job is to reframe the problem. And actually, your job quite frequently may not be to do that. It may be to build organizational confidence against you know, solving the problem. I thought that was really some new ground there and really interesting. It was like taking the everybody's human and you need to help and then putting an exponent on it. Hmm. Because now instead of, you know, helping one or two or three or four people, you're now helping six to 11, you know. And it's one of the reasons I loved having Joe Rice on because he's essentially built a company that does exactly what Maria was talking about, of being that Sherpa, as she called it, leading people to a great buying decision that works for them. And I just think it's a brilliant strategy to, from a, you know, a consulting perspective, but also a selling perspective of saying, we're going to help you validate solutions and build consensus around them because the ecosystem in the way the ecosystem communicates, particularly around technology in, in, in Joe's situation, has become so complex. And it's a result of, you know, content marketing, which was designed to help when really yeah. it, it, it created works. just the opposite effect. Yeah. Right. And it, it almost took the humanness out of it. And they're like, oh, well, you're just a persona. Right. I can speak to your persona. <laughs> And it was well-intended, but it was one of the worst things that I think could have happened because we started inundating personas instead of helping human beings make decisions. Yeah, helping people. You know, I'll just share a personal story. So uh, another consultant called me up and asked me if I would come in and talk with one of his clients about helping them with sort of a, a data visualization task since it's essentially trying to, to build a sales and marketing dashboard. Anyway, I met with them. We talked. And I, at the end, I said, like, you don't need me. Like, you don't need me at all. I mean, you know, you need someone who can build the dashboard. You already have a vision for what you want. You don't need me. And the consultant response is like, oh, no, I think we absolutely need you. I'm like, well, why? Well, basically, just what you said. He's like, we need you to help us steward the right, a good decision. Steward to the right provider, even though we don't. It's To your point, that's, that's a value proposition that many consultants frequently have. It's just help us make a good choice because we don't feel 100% confident doing it alone because we just don't have enough specific expertise in that area or or we just want objectivity, right? <laughs> just like, you know, I, I don't know, you know, so because of the noise around us, right? So that's a good one. That's a good one. All right. So what, what's next on your list here? We're, we're actually moving pretty rapid fire today, which is unusual for us. Usually this is a plodding exercise of dragging people slowly through a methodic list of things we learned and we can't get it all done in one episode. So if we did, if we get through a bunch, that's amazing. So, well, you've curtailed your bloviation. So that's that good. does help when I, when I don't bloviate, let me, yeah. let me stop and talk about that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> 
You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. So number three on my list was the importance and the complexity of culture. And almost everyone alluded to this, but the the two people that I think spoke directly to it were Charlie Green and David Rhodes. Mm-hmm. And I was so glad to finally get Charlie Green on. And I would love to have him back on to talk about, you know, trust more broadly and in all the other dimensions, you know, that his firm speaks to. But I love the conversation that we had about how do you create a cross-selling culture and can you? Is a culture a culture and does it it simply manifest in cross-selling or not cross-selling? Or can you reward people and, and change that culture? And, and I loved his answer because it was so honest. It's both, right? If you want to change a culture, you need leaders to step out and demonstrate how you want people to behave. And you create these mavens that are out there being selfless and, and, and sharing, you know, these relationships so that people can cross sell. But, you know, he also said, well, you need to reward that. And David came back and then he took us really deep yeah. on on culture and, and what it takes. But his was very similar that, you know, cultures are cultures. And if you get the compensation wrong because you're trying to achieve a business outcome that while understandable is inconsistent with, you know, the culture that you have, you can kill the soul of your firm. But I loved how David Rhodes talked about unleashing the strengths of a culture. And if we're unleashing, you know, this dimension, going back to the very first thing we talked about of helping people and relating to them as human, what David talked about makes even more sense. Because when you're unleashing a culture through rewards, really, if you think about how is your firm and its people uniquely human, how do we release that? And we align it with, you know, the human that's on the other side of just not even wanting to be persuaded, of being helped, of being understood. And I really do think that is a natural tendency for us. But as you as you alluded to about Andy Paul, we've learned all these behaviors to the opposite and we need to unlearn them. But it comes down to culture and leaders have to unleash that culture by demonstration and by setting up intelligent reward structures that support it. Yeah, there's some relationship there I haven't put my finger on, but like, you know, I made a note as you were talking and I went back to my notes from Charlie Green. And one of the things interesting that he talked about was, you know, if you're going to build a culture that does this, you have to focus on relationships, not expertise. That was one of my big takeaway notes there. And just this idea that if you think about cross-selling, it's about, conceptually for a second, you think about cross-selling, it's about how do we bring all the expertise we have to bear to the client's client. But if you invert that and actually say, well, no, what we're trying to do is build a culture that enables cross-buying, that makes it about the relationship. It makes it about how do we build relationships inside our firm 
such that we're better at understanding when the client presents a problem, how to help them and how to help that relationship with them. And that then leads to your rewards message that you just said. You know, I hadn't connected the two very well. I actually had more connected Charlie with Blair in the sense that trust is sort of the foundation of value-based selling and value-based pricing. So it's sort of enabling trust very early in the relationship through listening, understanding wants and needs, and really driving down to being intensely focused on the client's problems and not at all focused on your solutions leads to trust, which leads to the ability to have a conversation about value and value to be created. So I connected those two together more than I had connected David. But I agree with you. David's thinking you know, around just total rewards top to bottom, I found just really, really helpful. And it got me thinking about like how often firms reward selling out behaviors, connecting those two dots too. <laughs> right? I That's exactly time. what they do. You know? And I told that story. I don't know if I told that story, but we had a client where the, you know, the, the, the BDMs, the business development managers, you know, get a, a certain percentage of the deal when they close the book of business, which incents them never to credit marketing with any, any real contribution to a deal. Right. So at the end of the day, all you're doing is, is the reward system is, is creating a, a chasm inside the firm between marketing and sales that is not helping anybody. It's really not helping the client, right? It doesn't help anybody, really. So I don't know. His pyramid, the notion of his pyramid, it's like if people, listeners go back to that and draw that pyramid and kind of map it all out. That to me was really great thinking around rewards and compensation and just how it all fits together in a really compelling way. So I took, I went way off course there a little bit. I kind of mowed us into like other things, like other things on my list. So I don't know where we ended up, but. Well, I don't think um, so at all. And this is what was so cool about the series is all of this stuff that firms do. And, and, you know, this is part of the prudent pedal marketing model. These things are just inextricably linked because the people are the products. The marketing strategy, the sales strategy, the delivery strategy, you know, all hover around, you know, a client and solutions and the issues. And they just weave back and forth in and out. It's it, And that's what's so cool about professional services, because there are knowledge driven firms and they're 100 percent human. Right. Yeah. There's just no product there. The humans are the product. So I, I think what you just said was really insightful. You know, it's interesting. You know, thank you. It's interesting the, the, the phrase, the people are the product. You know, part of me wonders is like, is that just true everywhere? We just don't think about it. Right. Like at the end of the day, like, yeah, you buy a product, but the product has had to be conceived of, produced by people. And if you don't know how to reward people, you don't know how to build a culture of trust and reciprocity and relationships, no matter what business you're in, you're probably not going to produce a good product, right? <laughs> you know, whatever that product is. So it's like, I wonder if, if maybe in a conceptual sense, like professional services is sort of the apex of this, where because there is no, there is no downstream crutch, it, it, just, it just shines a lens on something that's an issue everywhere, but it's a bigger issue there. I don't know. So transitioning gears. I don't want to get too caught up now because that's very ethereal and I'm kind of going off. And, and that sounds that. like another series. So what else is on your list of learnings before we lose track of what we're trying to do here? Well, one of my favorite episodes was the Blair ends. Man, I could just sit and listen to him talk all day. It was really good. 
I mean, he's got incredible insights and then a mix of creative storytelling on, on top of it. But I love the metaphor. And this is probably, you know, kind of a, a good segue to a series we'll be doing in the future on value creation. But I loved Blair's comment that pricing is the prison cell of our own mm-hmm. making. Yeah. And and how we really limit ourselves in, in multi dimensions, you know, not just maximizing, you know, a particular opportunity or or sale, but that we need to be thinking differently. To the comments you just made about the people are the product, is what are we actually selling? Because we do get into this, oh, we are selling a product, we are selling a solution, we are selling a relationship, we are selling, <laughs> when ultimately, selling some outcome. yeah, yeah, it, but ultimately we are selling outcomes. How you get to yeah. that outcome is, you know, where all the magic, I guess, kind of happens because in that maxim, all marketers know buyers buy holes, not drill bits. But I love that thinking. And, and if I could only noodle on one thing from this whole series, that whole concept that price is a prison cell of our own making I, and how you actually create value is one of the most insightful things I've learned. As you know, he's been such an influential thinker in, in my career and in my journey. And there's a layer to that about price and risk that I don't know if it comes out in the episode or not, but the idea that price is a function of, of risk and the price that, that you charge is a function of how much risk you're taking away or not taking away. I've had this twice. So as anyone who works with us knows, you know, most of our client relationships are all of our client relationships are value priced and they're all, they're usually fixed fee engagements, but not always. And twice recently we've had in the like last couple of weeks, we've, I've had people question a price that we have for something, even when those, it's, it's bundled in options and basically want to tie that price to a function of bill rate and hours. And it's interesting because both times the hair on the back of my neck kind of kind of goes up and I, and I, and I get kind of like, I want to get defensive and say, well, then that's not how we think about this. But when I came back to Blair's model of price as a function of risk, it becomes much easier to articulate that and say, well, no, I gave you a fixed fee for this. The risk I'm taking away is price ambiguity. You will pay that amount as long as we stick to our agreement on what we're doing. If you want to pay for time, you can do that. Then the risk shifts to you. And so when you have that conversation, it's a different conversation. It's not this like, you know, what's your bill rate and how many hours you think this is going to take? And a lot of times I'll even say, especially if it's a new client, like we've never worked together. I have no idea how hard you are to work with or how easy you are to work with. It could take us 20 hours. It could take us 2000 hours. I have no idea because I've never experienced working with you. before. So there's this whole layer of risk underneath all that, that I think is a really compelling piece of this. And I don't know how much we touched on in that if we did at all, but value, risk, and price all kind of are intrinsically aligned in a, in a little infinity loop. I'm waving at the screen. Listeners won't see. But anyway, I don't know if that helped or not. I agree with you. His thinking is so valuable. Those two episodes are worth a ton of money for managing partners. If you listen to him and really dissect what he's talking about, it's just so much in that, so much packed in there. That's a great insight. And if if nobody wants to go through the hard work of doing what you just described, I've seen this in brand study after brand study after brand study. What what clients want more than anything 
is they want you to guarantee you the outcome of your work. Yeah. Guarantee the outcome of the work and I'll sign with you. You know, we don't need to go any, any further because if you said what you're going to, if you do what you said you're going to do and deliver what you said you're going to do, boom, you'll do it because nobody will do that. Yeah. Nobody will do that. Yeah. The reality too is, and again, you know, it's, that is that risk continuum, right? Like the idea of like paying for certain outcomes versus paying for uncertain outcomes. And I would argue that sort of business on a whole is on this chase for certainty, right? You know, there's a whole dialogue about data and the role of data in business, and the role of data in society. And most of what underlies data is this quest for certainty, to pull risk out of the equation guarantee that revenue is going to be what it's going to be. And so there's there's some real magic in underneath that, that, that this idea that you know, price is a function of value, pr- pricing is a prison cell of your own making. That's a, a fabulous quote too, because it comes down to, how often do you hear clients say that to you? Well, I can't charge that. So-and-so charges this. Mm-hmm. Well, who cares what so-and-so charges? I don't care what, the, uh, what that competitive firm charges. You can charge a, the, whatever you want to charge within the context of the function of the value you're going to create that the client feels is fair and you think is fair, right? And the only, the only time you really can't do that, and this episode was the most surprising one for, for me, and that was Cal Harris talking about why yes. RFPs suck. Yes. <laughs> he says, well, you can give an RFP and, and give a standard response if you're selling shovels, right? So in other words, that issue that we were just talking about is a function of a commodity. Yes. So if, if you treat your solutions as a commodity, or they in fact are the commodity, you're always going to be stuck in that prison cell. Yeah. So you need to be able to get out of that mindset. It's that simple, but it's not that easy. <laughs> Yes. And your point, that's a really valid point, is that you know a lot of what came out of Cal's discussion was this idea that there are markets where there are constraints bigger than your, your firm, and you can't operate outside of those constraints without someone above you helping. And that's sort of what he's trying to do in Canada. And so there are places where, yeah, there are real limitations on what you can charge, regardless of the value you're creating, just because of the nature of the way the market is, has evolved or is regulated or whatever. So I think that's, yeah, we should probably temper my comments that way. (laughs) You know me, I get a little fired up. This series isn't done. So the cool thing is we're doing this lessons learned and it's not over. So it's not like we're like done with modern selling. I mean, I don't think we ever be totally done, but we've got another big guest coming on in our next episode. Should we, should we leak or should we just wait? Make them wait. Make them wait. Anticipation anticipation of what's next. So yeah, there's still a lot to be talked about here, but I thought it was a really good time for us to pause and just kind of reflect on what we've heard as we kind of move into, you know, deeper discussion in this area and then eventually move on to some other things as well. So anything else you want to share before we say goodbye for the day? This has been a fun journey. It really has. Going back and and re-listening to these things, I was just marked at the the depth and breadth of expertise that our guests offered, but also at the fact that this learning is evergreen. It's just evergreen. This is not the type of learning that has a shelf life. And these episodes will live a really long time. And I encourage our listeners 
to go back and re-listen to these. It's amazing what you pick up when you go through something yeah. a second or, or third time. And I know there's so many podcasts out there and there's so much information, but sometimes I think we go too broad and not deep to really solidify the learning as, as you said in our kickoff. And to your point, maybe some advice to listeners is that, you know, most of podcast consumption is passive listening, right? So it's, you know, driving to and from, for me, driving to and from the tennis courts with my kids, right? So it's, that's when I listen to a lot of stuff, but make mental notes of the episodes that you really valued and then mark them to go back and do active listening, sit down at at your desk with a pad and take some good notes because the reality you probably, my mic might be picking up. I've been thumbing back and through a a spiral notepad where I take notes off every episode added benefit of those notes to jog my memory that, you know, many people probably don't have. So anyway, all right, well, let's, let's say goodbye for today. We will talk next week. we got a nice guest coming on to talk about, I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're such a tease. Anyway. Bye Jeff. See you next week. See you buddy. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.